0: Hello, fans of Bizarre Albums. My name is Joe Cozzala. I am a comedian, a friend of Tony's, and also I host my own podcast called Who Cares About the Rock Hall, which is a podcast about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Now, a lot of people have heard of the Rock Hall, don't know much about it, yet seem to have very strong opinions about it. I think that's what makes the Rock Hall such a great subject for conversations, arguments, whatever. If you don't know anything about the Rock Hall, that's fine. It's really a podcast about music. Who cares about the Rock Hall? Give it a shot. Thanks, bye. Hi, my name is Tony Thaxton. Like anyone else, I love a great album. But I also love those strange albums that might make you wonder how and why they even exist. But I'm not here to make fun of them. I'm here to celebrate them and tell their story. This is Bizarre Albums. Today's episode Buckner and Garcia's Pac Man Fever from 1982. In 1979, Toru Awatani, a 24-year-old employee of Japanese video game publisher Namco, was becoming disappointed in the video game industry. At the time, video games had mostly a war or sports theme. Plus, arcades had a reputation of being seedy environments back then. Iwatani wanted to change this, so he decided he wanted to make a cheerful, non-violent game with cute and colorful design he hoped that it would also make the game appealing to women. Iwatani assembled a team of nine other Namco employees to help with the production of his new game. The game took nearly a year and a half to complete, which at that point was the longest amount of time ever spent developing a game. The working title for the game was Puckman, based on the character's hockey puck-like shape, though Iwatani himself has said the character's design was actually based off of a pizza with one slice removed. With the game now ready for testing, Namco installed the first Puckman machine in a movie theater in the Shibuya section of Tokyo on May 22nd, 1980. Iwatani told Wired Magazine in 2010, quote, The women and couples were very happy about the machine, very excited. They came up to it and put their hands on it. So we thought that our target concept had been very much in sync and correct. They played it, and they were more or less satisfied. They figured out how to play it. It's not a difficult game. On the other hand, the core gamers, the men, were not necessarily very excited about it. But it was for the people who didn't play video games on a daily basis. Women, children, the elderly. End quote. Iwatani thought of the game as being slow and relaxing. Even though people were enjoying the game during its testing, they didn't play for long periods of time. Combine that with the popularity of thrilling and violent games that were more popular overseas, and Iwatani didn't expect the game to be a big hit. Between the location testing in May and the proper Japanese release in July, not a lot was changed beyond the name. There was concern that in the U.S., the Puckman machines could be vandalized, changing the P to an F. So Puckman officially became Pac-Man. Pac-Man was an immediate hit, so much so that, for only the second time ever, the Japanese mint had to make more hundred yen pieces because so many were ending up in Pac Man games. In October, Pac Man had made its way to the US thanks to Midway Games acquiring the licensing and distribution rights for the US, where it also became an instant sensation. And not just in arcades, Pac Man became a pop culture phenomenon to the point that even television news started covering Pac-Man stories.
1: From Mother's Pinball of Mount Prospect, welcome to tonight's PM Magazine. Hi everybody, I'm Mike Lederman, and guess what? We're playing Pac-Man, the most popular game in the red-hot video games industry. We're going to show you how it's made and how it's played right here in Chicago and see why millions of people have become Pac-Maniacs.
0: That's WFLD Channel 32's PM Magazine Chicago with their top story Pac-Mania Invades Chicago in 1981. Pac-Man was the first arcade game to reach beyond the arcades. Machines were showing up in grocery stores, 7-Elevens, and restaurants. One particular restaurant was Schilling's in Marietta, Georgia. One night in the fall of 1981, Jerry Buckner and Gary Garcia, a couple of musicians from Ohio now living in Atlanta, came to Shillings for dinner. They noticed one of the tables in the middle of the restaurant had a tabletop that was actually a game, Pac-Man. They decided to try the game, and they were immediately hooked. After that night, they started spending more time at Shillings while they were working on projects at a nearby recording studio. Before moving to Atlanta, Buckner and Garcia had been writing jingles and playing in bands in Akron, Ohio. Back in 1977 they had written and recorded a novelty song under the name Animal Jack, which was released on Laurie Records. Buckner himself has called the song horrible, but that it was supposed to be a joke anyways. Then in 1980, they wrote and produced another novelty song called Merry Christmas in the NFL. It was credited to Willis the Guard and Vigorish. Willis the Guard was a character performed by Atlanta radio personality Bob Carr. The song became a small novelty Christmas hit, peaking at number 82 on the Billboard Hot 100.
1: It's
0: the NFL
1: And we wish you well
0: Buckner and Garcia were pleased that the single had even charted at all, but they immediately went back into writing commercial jingles. But after they discovered Pac-Man, they started noticing that the game was truly catching on around the country. So they decided to write a song about the game in hopes that it would help their jingle business. Buckner played the piano at home and came up with the idea for the song. He gave the idea to Garcia, who then worked on some lyrics. Not long after, they went into the studio to record their new song, Pac-Man Fever. They thought they had a hit on their hands, and the song was immediately shopped around to labels. The response? Labels didn't seem to understand the song or the game. Fortunately, their management had a local label in Georgia called BGO Records, and they decided to release the single themselves in October of 1981. Want more bizarre albums? Sign up at patreon.com slash bizarre albums to get weekly bonus episodes of the new companion show, B-Sides. Go a little deeper on each album every week on B-Sides. That's patreon.com slash If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field.
1: This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics in Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you
0: loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Pac Man Fever was played on a local radio station, getting a huge response. By the end of the week, the single was flying off the shelves, selling 10,000 copies in one week. Not long after, they got a call from CBS slash Columbia Records. They suddenly had a record deal. And now, the label wanted an album. So the duo started writing songs for an album. They had two songs written when CBS Records Vice President Mickey Eichler flew down to check in on their progress. He immediately told them what they were doing was wrong. He wanted the entire album to be video game songs. This was a concern for Buckner and Garcia, but the label insisted. Garcia started reworking the lyrics to the melodies they'd already written so that they were now about video games. But they didn't know a lot about other games, so they started going to arcades to get ideas. The label wanted the album as quickly as possible. Buckner and Garcia wrote and recorded the rest of the album in two weeks. In December... Columbia Records officially released Pac-Man Fever as a national single. The initial response? They thought the record was dead on arrival. But then the song started getting heavy airplay in Florida. And then Michigan. And then it started spreading from there. Apparently, because of the Florida airplay that Christmas season, many people had heard the song while vacationing in Florida. When they returned home, they were requesting the song to their local radio stations. This unplanned grassroots campaign was exactly what they needed. Soon after, a local TV station interviewed Buckner and Garcia, which was then picked up by Entertainment Tonight, and that's when the national exposure went to another level. So then, in 1982, Buckner and Garcia's Pac-Man Fever was released on CBS Records. Yellow creature gobbles dots while being pursued through maze by monsters. The Pac-Man Fever album kicks off with the Pac-Man Fever song, I know I've already touched on that song a bit, but let's go into it a little bit more. The lead vocals were performed by Gary Garcia with Jerry Buckner playing keyboards and backing vocals. The beginning of the song, which plays the Pac-Man music, was actually recorded with a microphone straight off of a Pac-Man machine in a deli near the recording studio. One of the background singers on the song was Steve Carlyle who was the man who sang the theme song to WKRP in Cincinnati. Buckner and Garcia had even produced a full-length version of the theme song for Carlisle around the same time as Pac-Man Fever.
1: Track
0: two on the album was Froggy's Lament. Froggy's Lament was based on another extremely popular video game of the time, Frogger. Frogger was a 1981 game developed by Konami and published by Sega. Much like Pac-Man, Frogger's legacy is still going strong today. It's been referenced in an episode of Seinfeld titled The Frogger, The Wreck-It Ralph Movies, and even in a song by punk legend's Bad Religion. Here's a bit of Froggy's lament. Froggy takes one step at a time. The way that he moves has no reason. A rhyme. He
1: hops and jumps, dodges and ducks, cars and buses, vans and trucks. Go, Froggy, go! You gotta keep on hopping till you get to the top. Go, Froggy, go! Gotta keep on hopping. You can never stop. Go.
0: Buckner and Garcia liked Froggy's lament and thought it should be the album's next single, but that's not how the label felt the label wanted the next single to be Do the Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong was released in 1981 and at the time was probably the biggest game behind Pac-Man. The game was also the first appearance of Jumpman, who would later be renamed Mario, becoming a video game icon himself. In March of 1982, Buckner and Garcia even played Do the Donkey Kong on American Bandstand. It was the second song of their performance, after Pac-Man Fever, of course, and after a short interview with Dick Clark.
1: Yeah, there's a whole generation of parents ready to hang you out there. I mean, just compounding <laughs> this thing. They can't find their kids now. Uh, have you written together f- for a long time? We've been writing together for many years, friends since uh, junior high school. Where was that? In Akron, Ohio. It's Simon Perkins, junior high. In Akron, Ohio. Simon. For anybody anybody out there. <laughs> Simon Perkins, junior high. All right. Hey, let's hear it for Simon Perkins.
0: Here's Jerry Buckner talking a little about Do the Donkey Kong from the commentary on the Pac-Man Fever 30th Anniversary Edition released in 2012.
1: So in addition to writing songs, Gary and I also had written jingles, a lot of commercial jingles in Atlanta. A few months previous to this, we had written a jingle for a skating rink that uh, we really liked and thought it would fit the Donkey Kong image, had a great pop sound to it so we changed the music and wrote some new lyrics and uh, it ended up being the second single and came in a picture sleeve it was pretty neat looking uh, sleeve it sold okay, but of course nothing compared to Pac-Man Fever and and really it wasn't uh, really wasn't a big you know big hit unto itself um, I think it sold two or three hundred thousand singles I, I don't remember, somewhere in that vicinity scale up the ball, just how high can you go, you break heart, get, 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 get slow, I'm up on the chest and-
0: Jerry Buckner has said that his favorite song on the album after Pac-Man Fever is Ode to a Centipede. Centipede was another game released by Atari in 1981. It's one of the most commercially successful games from 1979 to 1983, which is considered to be the golden age of arcades. At 5 minutes and 37 seconds, Ode to a Centipede is the longest song on the album. The centipede
1: multiplies and divides and comes after you forever every side. Faster and faster, roll by roll. He slides through the rocks to
0: get you from below. Oh, Pete, you can't run away. You can't run away. Speaking of the golden age of arcades, Asteroids was one of the first big hits of the Golden Age. Atari released the game in 1979. Hyperspace is the only song on the album that didn't have the actual game's name in the title. The song has one of the album's more unusual credits. Here's more from Buckner's commentary.
1: My son Jason got a toy space gun for Christmas that year, which had a really cool sound, and I was fooling around with it and took it over to the studio while we were working on the album, just, you know, messing around with it and stuff. And Gary loved how it sounded. And he said, you know, I'm going to use that. And and he did. He decided to use it in, uh, in this particular song. And that explains the album credit for Jason's Space Gun.
0: Some of the credited musicians on the album include guitarist Chris Bowman, who had played with artists such as Leonard Skinner and Greg Allman and drummer Ginny Whittaker who had played with Country Joe and the Fish
1: me don't know where to between the moon and the sun
0: Buckner and Garcia produced the album themselves. There's weirdly a lot of information out there on this album, so on this week's Patreon episode of Bizarre Album's B-Sides, I'll go into even more stuff than usual, and check out the other three songs on the album, The Defender, Mousetrap, and Going Berserk, so you can get that episode at patreon.com slash Albums. Pac-Man Fever, both the song and the album, went gold. Despite the success... The duo never did much touring. According to the book Pac Man Fever, the story behind the unlikely 80s hit that defined a worldwide craze, written by Jerry Buckner and Mike Stewart, they were offered gigs at amusement parks and things of that nature, but it just wasn't appealing to them. In 1999, a re recorded version of the album was released independently by Buckner and Garcia they'd been unable to obtain the original master recordings from Sony, who now owns Columbia Records. So instead, they recorded new performances of the songs, also having to recreate many of the sound effects either digitally or musically. Pac-Man Fever has stuck around through the years. A new version appeared in the 2015 Adam Sandler film Pixels, and the song has been referenced on classic animated shows The Simpsons, South Park, and Family Guy. Family Guy, whose creator, Seth MacFarlane, has released some albums of his own. But that is for another time. Thank you for listening to Bizarre Albums. If you like the show, please subscribe and leave a review. It helps people find the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Bizarre Albums.